every person has been created in God's image. This is the baseline for a follower of Jesus in their interaction with every human being. They are holding a big box of treasure given to them by God. And what we can do is we can either remove treasure from it or put treasure into it. Are we tracking this morning? Did you know that um, there's a study done last year and when polled, um, 93% of this study thought that we had a civility problem here in the country. You're like, no news there, Brandon. Thanks for that one. 93% said that. And of those 93%, 69% said there was a major problem. 24% it was a minor problem. And just a mere 6% thought it was no problem at all. And those are the real angry people. We don't want to be like those people, right? And on average, most people interact with 10.6 uncivil encounters per week. And what that means is this. Not, not only are you a recipient of them, but you are a witness to. And you're like, well, if I'm just a witness of and I'm not really engaging, uh, then it's no big deal. But in honesty, in all honesty, even if you are a witness of or seeing this take place, it does play uh, it does give your, your brain a sort of stress storm. It, it releases these hormones that just can, puts you into a, a stressful state. Um, it, this woman, Christine, wrote, uh, Christine Porvath, wrote a book called Mastering Incivility. She says this, Incivility has a way of pulling us off track and away from being our best. I've seen this to be true in every study I've conducted. Even witnesses working around incivility take a hit. Incivility sucks something out of all of us. It takes us on an emotional roller coaster ride. It siphons cognitive resources. It even eats away at physical health. Ultimately, we, became, we become a fraction of ourselves. We don't show up to the same extent. And you know this to be true. If you've experienced this in any sort of way uh, throughout your life, you know the results of what this sort of thing uh, does to you. It just puts you in this state of like, ugh, right? That's theological, that, that ugh, right? And, and but, but some of you might be like, you know what? But I'm a Christian, right? I'm a Christian pastor. I do this so well. I do this so well. No, we don't. We don't do so well. And, and there's, a, there's an article in Christianity Today not long ago, Carl Vaders writes this. Um, do you know why Christians have a bad reputation today? It's not because of CNN, it's, it's because of our own social media platforms. Every day we confirm people's suspicions about us. There's no one left to blame but ourselves. Some Christians really act like jerks. I bet you've never heard that one in church before. Next slide. People have a relationship with Jesus, read their Bible, go to church, share their faith, and love their neighbor. Then they get online and reinforce all the worst stereotypes about Christians as self-righteous, ignorant, and out of touch. No amens on that one, do I? No one stands up like, amen, yes. Now, if you're not a Christian in here, you're like, yeah, I know, that's, yeah, I get that. But we have to take pause about how we interact with the world, we can't remove ourselves from the public square. We have to keep ourselves in. So it's going to force us to evaluate the way we engage. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what you're megaphoning into the world matters. 
it matters. And so of all of this incivility, right? And like, and like all there's different polarizations, the entire, like the entire world right now is marketed to your pole. It's marketed to your pole and it's, it's sucking you further and further and further to the point where you can actually put an entire barrier around the way of thinking that you have so that it's continually reinforced. Not only are you putting the barrier there, you are unknowingly put inside this force field due to marketing and pay, like people paying for ads and you're continue, they see how you interact online, they see what you watch and you continue to interact further and further and further into this lane. Really encouraging this morning. Amen? Come on now, right? And and so there's a couple ways that we can react. Number one, we can retaliate. When we see something like this happen, we can attack the problem. Or what we can do is we can retreat and we can avoid the problem. And I've been on either side of these before, avoiding the problem. Like at, there was a couple, after a couple presidential elections, I just didn't turn the TV on. For, one time I didn't turn the TV on for like a year and a half. And I was like, I just feel the Zen comes moving the right through, right? I just feel like, oh, this feels so much better, right? But it's just, you know what? That's actually avoiding though. Uh, but then the other times I've, I've attacked it, right? And there's just, I just like marvel at my own stupidity at some of the Facebook posts that I've had in the middle of things, right? One time when this was all happening for the first time, I think I was like 21. And I think like we should put age limits on, on, uh, on, on Facebook social media profiles. Like it's just, it's just really terrible. But, but I just posted this little phrase. I won't even phrase it because it's hard to, it's like I feel embarrassed even saying it. Uh, but I just put it on there, right? And I just shut it off. It was one of those like one sentence, like I'm amazing. Like my political pundancy is, a, is like right on top, right? Boop, boop, hit enter. And I, I opened it up like three hours later. I was like 147 comments. And I was like, I haven't even been on this. Like what's happening right now? It was like all like family members I've never talked to before. And like, like, like my old high school buddy and like all this sort of thing. And I was like, oh man, like, like I was just texting everyone and apologizing. I'm so sorry, I deleted the post. But there's really two different ways and those are polarized ways of interacting with the culture. But, but what if there's a third way? What if there's this third way, this kind of new way that we can engage with culture in a way that allows us to actually be the mouthpiece of Jesus? And this is what First Peter is gonna say. It says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You know, I, I've, I'm not that, uh, that experienced when it comes to the world yet. And I've been, you know, just kind of bumping along through in my, my 32 years. And, uh, but here's the thing is I love this verse so much, but you know who also loves this verse? Um, whatever political party has the president in the, pre- in the White House. You know, does that make, have you guys noticed that? You guys notice that no one's laughing today. This is we have to like lighten up on this one, or else this is gonna be a long four weeks. Are we with me today? Come on, like this is gonna like we have to learn how to laugh at ourselves at this because it really is funny. Uh, but but we have to get to the point where we have to we can look at this objectively. And this is really is the verse that everyone likes to quote as long as whenever there's a Democrat or Republican in the White House, right? They're like, well, you gotta respect the king. It's Christian. You're like, I know. Four years ago, you were calling mine the Antichrist. I don't know what to say. Right? And so we have to learn. This is what this first Peter is written to Christians everywhere, scattered all around the world at the time. And, and I, let me just tell you right now, no, no matter who the president is, no one had a king like Nero. Nero was the king when Peter wrote this verse. Nero was the king. And, and if you don't know who Nero is, 
let me just give you this hint. No one's naming their kid Nero anymore, all right? Why? Because Nero, Nero was just a terrible person. At one point, he took thousands of Christians and crucified them down his walkway to his house, and he lit them on fire so that he could have light for him to walk to his house. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care what political party you come from. Peter's writing this to Christians who have every right to not like that guy. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to respect our leaders? What does it mean to respect other people? What type of relationships could we have if respect was at the core of our heart? And so this is what respect is. Respect is to hold someone in high regard and treat them as valuable. If, if you have respect at the center of who you are, it doesn't matter who the person is, they're gonna be valuable. They have value to them. And we're gonna go through and, and talk about that. But here's the reality. Here's what's so important for us to, to remember today. That Christians have not been called to be right. We've been called to treat people right. We've been called to treat people right regardless of what's happening. We all have opinions and we all have thoughts. We all have things that we'd like to see done. There are things we should defend and there are things that we should contend for. There are, th- there are more, we're gonna get into that over the next few weeks. There are moments that we need to lay down our, we need to draw the line in the sand and there are times that we need to do that in, in ways. And there are times that we need to be like, honestly, that's not really that big of a deal. But regardless of what that is, Respect always informs our approach. Respect always informs our approach. And here's why this is so important. This matters. This is it, 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 it's really a major part of our reality because this is what Jesus says. Look at Matthew 12. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for the every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. This stuff matters. Our words matter. Our thoughts, they matter. The way we interact with each other matters. And in an increasingly polarized world, Jesus is going to invite us into a centerized approach of respecting everybody always. Respecting everybody always. And so our friends at Willow Creek, they came out, uh, they came out a couple years ago with a list of ways that we can respect everyone always. We can respect everyone else. So I'm gonna fly through about nine of these. And what I want you to do as you can, here's what I really need you to do. And just if I could be your pastor today, you're gonna have two, two interactions. One, you're gonna, you're gonna say, that's mine. At one point, you're gonna say, no, that's mine. And then the second thing you're gonna do is you're gonna say, I know someone who needs to hear this, right? And then you're gonna like post it on Facebook. And, uh, and here's what I want you to do, just to, just to be pastoral today, if I could. Just sit in yours. Just sit in yours. Just take a note of yours and allow the Lord to do that work in your heart today. Can we do that? Can we do that? Because I, I really think if, if we could get this right, it could be a game changer for the entire 
country, for the entire world, specifically for our region. So here we go. Nine different ways that we can respect everyone always. And the number one is that we need to see people as treasures of God. There's not one person in the world that you could lock eyes with that God does not love. There's not one person. And so every refugee, every immigrant, every person in the 7-Eleven, every person that you work with right now, every interaction, every human being has been crafted in the image of a God that loves them. There's not one person that you can lock eyes with. And you have to understand that this is every single person. James chapter one, we'll put it this way. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation became his prized possession. Genesis chapter one, it says, God is literally creating humans and says, let us create them in our image. And so every person is an image of God. Every person holds within them the broken pieces of God's image. And it's calling out to them to say, hey, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. You this morning, you have broken pieces. If you don't follow Jesus, you have broken pieces of the image of God. And you just, there are moments where you haven't learned to call it God yet. But this is the reality. Every person has been created in God's image. This is the baseline for a follower of Jesus in their interaction with every human being. They are not, uh, they are holding a big box of treasure given to them by God. And what we can do is we can either remove treasure from it or put treasure into it. Are we tracking this morning? So we need to see every person as treasures of God. The second thing we need to do is we need to differ without demonizing. In psychology, there's something called the halo effect. My wife was reminding me of this this morning. It was so incredible just to think about this concept. But our true understanding of the world, our interaction with the world, we will have a potential to either put a halo on someone's head so that they could do no wrong or a set of horns on someone's head so that they can do no right. And so you know this because you know exactly the type of person when you see their comment on one of your posts on Facebook. And you're like, oh yeah, I can't believe they posted. I just can't wait to blast them away right now. Come on now. And everybody said amen, right? Come on, gosh. Right, you have these, you either halo or you horn. You either put a halo on or you horn. This happens all the time in marriage. It happens all the time at work. Happens all the time, sometimes with other people's kids, not your own kids, other people's kids. Our relationships, we are tempted with putting a halo or a set of horns on someone's head but this is what Jesus says about this. He said, we have to refrain from this type of language. Look what it says. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, <clears throat> you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. What happens is this, is we have different opinions and we make them personal. And we look at someone and say, because you hold that opinion, you are X. You want me to save, like just, if, if you are in contentious spots and relationships, never use the phrase you are. Refrain from the phrase you are. Because what you're doing is you're cursing them with a judgment of your own opinion. And that's never, what, that's never the chair for you to sit in. 
differ without demonizing. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have different opinions, different approaches. That's all it is, is different approaches towards the runway. And you can just say, hey, that's cool. No worries. We just, dif- we just disagree. And because we're in this polarized society, we literally like, no, it's not okay. There has to be a right way. You know, sometimes there's just two different ways. And so we have to differ without demonizing. The, the next thing we have to do is we have to believe the best. We have to believe the best. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 will talk about. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbor, we are never giving up. We're never losing faith. We're always hopeful and we need to endure through every circumstance. We have to learn how to believe the best. And if you don't, are starting to realize that you're believing, like you're starting to put more horns than you are anything else, we have to engage it. We can't separate from it. We have to go to lunch with the person. We have to say hi to the person. We have to, it's amazing. Like we teach our our children all the time, go say hi, go say hi, go say hi. And then the moment at like 30 years old, you have a fight with someone, you like scoot out of the way. Because we, we begin to not believe the best about people and it pursues, a, it, it kind of moves us to understanding uh, the other person in a very limited context. I think, man, Christians should be the most hopeful people in the world. It's, just the, the, it's, my, it's like just a bias that I have. That you should be the type of person that edifies everybody. Like, man, you are, that's incredible. You really are an incredible person. And I'll notice, I'll conti- when I'm falling down that hill, it's typically because I have other stressors in my life that I'm, and it's not allowing me to simply be hopeful with other people. So the question is today, how many people have you edified this week? If you, on average, experience 10.6 uncivil interactions, how many edifying actions have you released into the world? Because I believe that if we start to see that, you'll start to see something happen. We have to believe the best. Can we have a heart as followers of Christ that would just allow us to believe the best about people all the time? Oh man, that would be incredible. So we have to believe the best. The other thing we have to do is is not interrupt or talk over. You know what's so funny about this one is it reminds me of like the things that you learned in kindergarten list. If you guys remember that one, you're like, it kind of sounds like you're talking us through that list right now. It's not, but it sounds like it. Because these are some of the things that are based into the, and we all struggle with this. From the time that we're six months old, six years old, 60 years old, no matter where you're at, we struggle with this, large to small. Because we are stuck in this kind of, it's really difficult. And so Proverbs is going to teach us this. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Man, if we could just write that somewhere, post that right on our computer screen, right? Post that right on our computer screen. We have to listen in a way that understands. And when you dominate the conversation, you are, you are slowly telling everyone that you're the most important person in the room. Don't interrupt. Don't talk over. Don't try to dominate the conversation. Ask meaningful questions. Be curious. Stay mindful. Think well. 
and don't interrupt. The next thing, the next thing, if you want to respect someone, no incendiary words. Um, this is when typically if you're using a you are statement, you throw some sort of judgment on the top of it. You start to actually, you, you start to actually be kind of nasty about some things. And maybe you never get there verbally, but you might get there mentally. You might get there emotionally. And it has nothing to do necessarily with an action that they've done. It's all based off opinions. Isn't that true? Like the, most of the, think about all the people that you're really mad at right now. Um, and hopefully that number's small, but I mean, it could be large, whatever. Think about all the people that you're just kind of like, eh, just not interested or whatever. How many of them have punched you in the face? Because that used to be the way that solved it, right? That, like that's how it worked in like the you know, 50s, 60s, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but like, how many of them have actually done something to you that you can say, no, that was wrong? That was wrong. A lot of our interaction is based off opinions right now. Not based off the fact that someone's actually said something or done something to you enough for you to draw a boundary of protection around yourself. And it's based off these incendiary words. This is what Proverbs uh, 15 is going to say. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. All the married couples say amen. Come on, somebody. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I had this really great conversation with a friend last week, and he said, how many words are like deposits into somebody's life versus withdrawals. Jesus says it this way. Jesus is called the word of God. He says he's the word, and and the word becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh. So the word embodies and moves towards people. I've noticed that the most incendiary words will come from disembodied words meaning that you are doing it through electronics, through a computer, through some sort of like uh, external way. Like you are, you are not sitting down in front of the person. If you had a flesh and blood embodied conversation with somebody, your words will be different. Your words will be different. No incendiary words. And I even go one thought, because there are a lot of us that are quiet. No incendiary thoughts. Believe the best, commit that, see the treasures of God moving forward. Psalm 8 says that we're just a little bit lower than the heavens. We just have this massive value inherent in the cosmos. We have to commit to it. And so no incendiary words. The next one is no stereotyping. If you want to respect someone, don't stereotype them. And you don't know the power of this until you've been stereotyped. You don't know the power of how difficult this can be if you haven't been stereotyped. And Galatians 3 says it this way. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so I I know this isn't just poor to rich. This isn't just about nationalities. It's not just about what part of town you live in. Stereotyping happens for everybody because your brain is looking for different ways for you to be built up and encouraged and to be right and to feel really healthy and good. 
And so you have bias built within you just trying to remove the things that are going to make you burn calories. That's exactly, that's just a, like the basic functioning of your brain. And so stereotyping is our easy way of saying, yes, no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, this is going to build me up, this is going to move me away. And we don't even, we're not even aware of this activity. And so what we have to do is confess this to the Lord and have him heal it. That's the way. You say, God, help me not stereotype. Help me not drive down a different section of street. Help me not, uh, you know, look differently or think differently when I see someone walking. Um, I'll, just, I'll just be real. My stereotype is pajamas in public. That's it, man. And I just, I wish I, wish I could tell you all the weird places my brain goes when that happens. Like, how difficult does your life have to be? for you to remove, to roll out of bed in the morning and say, eh, and walk out. Like, I just, I'm like, oh my word. Like, like that's really hard for me to really appreciate that type of, but you know what? There are people that just are at that point in life. They are, they are. Now it's hard for me to understand that, but that's my stereotype. That's my stereotype. And there are much worse ones than that, obviously, but there are times where I'm like really struggling with that. Stereotyping is, is removing yourself from the humanity of the other person. You treat people as things, not as people. So we can't stereotype. So the next thing we have to do is we have to apologize quickly. Uh, this is what James 5 will talk about this. It says this, uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We have to confess. Um, there's another psalm that says when you confess, it's like breathing life into your bones. When you hold on to things, it's like bringing death to your body. Apologize quickly. Let's, let's, let's practice right now. Say, I'm sorry. God, go on. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Come on. Please forgive me. Oh, that was awesome. That really felt good. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel better? Because here's what we typically do. We go, I'm sorry, but let me explain to you. Right? Don't we? Come on now. I'm sorry, but this is what you need to understand about the situation. Look, I'm really sorry you felt that way. What? I'm like, so you put that back on them somehow in your apology? Like, that's amazing. Apologize quickly. Own the entire thing. And just say sorry. Man, I'm so sorry. I, that was a, I could give you the 14 different reasons why I did that, but no matter what, the result was terrible. And, and this is what James says, it produces really good results when we are acting in righteous ways. And the results weren't. So I'm really sorry. That's my bad. Please forgive me. Do that to your kids this week. Watch them freak out. Like, what? I'm sorry? Please forgive me. Yeah, Dad, I'll forgive you. Apologize quickly. Next thing we have to do is we have to form opinions slowly. We have to form opinions slowly. Uh, uh, um, I just saw it this week. Uh, the, the, the mayor of Pawtucket um, came out, they, well, the, the, the economic advisor for the city of Pawtucket came out with six different proposals for, uh, for what to do with McCoy. And, uh, and, and, 
And you know what the mayor said? I love, this is my favorite thing in the world. I don't know if this is good or not politically. It is what it is, but I just love it. He goes, I'll talk to you on Monday. And all the reporters were like, what? What do you mean you'll talk to me on Monday? No, it's gotta, I gotta, you gotta talk to me right now. I gotta, you gotta have to have this opinion right now. And then they, then they said, you're not for your city. And you're like, what? No, I don't know Gravian personally, uh, but I know I, I've, I've seen him in public in different ways. I'm like, oh, he seems like he's, uh, like what? And so they freak out. Right now, if you don't have an opinion within 30 seconds of the event, you are cast, you, you cast, uh, castized and, and, and polarized in a, in a way that's just terrible. Try that. Say, hey, I'll talk to you next week. But you know what the problem is? No one wants to know next week. They don't care. And that's, you should do the same thing. Form opinions slowly. James 1 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Last thing you got to do, if you want to respect everyone always, be courteous to everybody. Be courteous to everybody. Philippians 2 says it this way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look at only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. The root of respect is humility. The root of respect is humility. You want to be respectful? Ask God to form humility in your heart. And that's what will happen. Here's the truth, gang. You might be the only image of Jesus that someone sees. And what are you teaching to be true about Jesus? With your Facebook profiles, with your Twitter, with your Instagram, with your, with your heart, with your thoughts when you talk to someone about things that matter, what image of God are they walking away with? Because this is what our goal is. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors for reconciliation. That's who we are. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. If you're a Christian here today, your purpose in life is to be the mouthpiece to God. What kind of mouthpiece do we have? Respect is so important. And what we have to decide is this really quick image. Are we people who are thermometers or are we people who are thermostats? Do we respond to the toxicity of our environment or are we people that help people cool down or help people get more passionate? Christians need to be thermostats, setting the tone of the environment, not for incendiary words, not, with, not through crazy thoughts, not through stereotypes, but through joy, through resurrection. We need to be people of hope. We need to be people of joy. We need to be people of respect. And so the, the gang is gonna help us sing a little bit because here's the deal. The root of our respect is humility. And you know where we get humility from? The grace of God. If you're a person who's received grace, you have an infinite amount of grace that you're able to employ to somebody else regardless of what they've done to you, said to you, thought about you. 
respect comes from a place of humility, which is given and extended by the grace of God. So let's watch this video as the gang gets sets up to help us celebrate that. There are two instruments that measure the temperature of an environment, the thermometer and the thermostat. 